Welcome everyone to the Operation Automation Podcast by Omron, where we are talking all things factory automation. My name is Kenny Heidel, and I am a channel sales manager focusing on channel engagement. I've been with Omron for four years and have 15 years of combined factory and industrial automation experience. Sitting here with me is Carrie Lee. Hi everyone, I'm Carrie Lee. I'm the America's sales manager for early career development. I've been with Omron for three and a half years and have about 17 years of experience in automation. Gary and I are neighbors at our Omron office and would often have conversations at the coffee machine or in the hallways where we would talk about new technologies and trends and, of course, the Chicago White Sox. We hope to recreate that time here in our podcast and share it with our listeners so you can learn along with us. So whether you're pouring yourself your first or your fifth coffee of the day, driving to your first appointment, or just walking the dog, we hope to help you start your day right with a little bit of fun and hopefully you learn something new too. Kenny! What songs do you have for us today? Domo Domo Mr. Roboto. Oh, that's a good one. Domo. Sh- <laughs> so our guest today, Kenny, is Adrian Choi from the illustrious robot product marketing team. He is going to talk to us about robots. I mean, with so, that song, there's no introduction, right? No other introduction he needs, right? Exactly. Exactly. Maybe we'll start calling him Mr. Lovato's. There we go. All right. So, Adrian, welcome to the podcast. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Excited. We've been looking forward to this one for a while. So, Adrian, we're going to start off with our trademark difficult questions. So, uh, what is your go-to takeout food order? Hands down, pot stickers. So, I lived in... Chinatown, born and raised there here in Chicago, and we've got hundreds of Chinese restaurants in the neighborhood, and out of everything we can get, sometimes I just had appetites for pot stickers. So shamelessly, I will admit to the world that there have been days where I just go into a restaurant and order, you know, I need four orders of pot stickers, and that's what I'm having for dinner tonight. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to say, it's always embarrassing when you get takeout and you can tell, especially with Chinese, that they think way more people are eating. You're like, why are there eight fortune cookies in here? <laughs> <laughs> What's more embarrassing is when you order a large meal for yourself and they include extra chopsticks and fortune cookies because you're they're assuming you're uh, sharing. Exactly. Like, no, this is just for me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, don't worry. I'll use those condiments. They get stored in your fridge for like six months, but they're still they they still hold their weight, right? They're still okay. More like six years, but I still tell myself <laughs> I'll use them someday. Exactly. Hey, Adrian, so if you have to get a lot of work done, what is your favorite music to put on uh, to do so? Oof. Surprisingly, uh, I would say bluesgrass. Mm. Just something slow and sad. A song about someone talking about a dead lover or their truck or existential bluesgrass crises. Uh, yeah, just something mellow. Nothing motivates like a nice murder ballad, huh? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You get it. I'm down. Okay, last one. What's your favorite hobby, Adrian? I would say, and I just restarted this, is I run a robot fighting league here in town in Chicago. So obviously, uh, during COVID, that was axed because we can't get a bunch of people in one room together. 
but it has a lot of overlap with my other passion for uh, education volunteering, specifically with the arts and robotics. So this is a, a, fight, a battle league that I run where all the robots are roughly tabletop sized. And we don't really have a barrier to entry. So if people want to enter uh, robots they build from scratch with Raspberry Pis and uh, all this other fancy uh, from scratch programming and 3D printing chassis, that's fine. But we've had people enter uh, off-the-shelf RC cars that they've just uh, decorated. And it's just a fun event. We have people, uh, we encourage people to dress up in costume and have pro wrestler personas. It's a big party and it really takes the stuffiness out of STEM education. Mm. We're rebooting in August, hopefully, assuming we get past some of the planning. Uh, but that's my, that was my biggest hobby. I'm really excited to jump back into it. Awesome. Definitely let us know when the events are. That might be a future episode live from the yeah. fighting robots. And this is this is above ground uh, robot fighting, right? Not underground robot fighting. <laughs> it depends on the day. Ken- Whatever venues we can book. We have Ken- Kenny's got that uh, degenerate gambling problem. He's <laughs> wondering if he can put money on the robot fights. So we know the most important things about you, Adrian, uh, but why don't you introduce yourself and give us a little overview of your background in automation? Absolutely. Uh, so once again, my name is Adrian Choi. I'm the product manager for robotics. Uh, I specifically handle the collaborative robots here at Omron as well as the part feeders. Uh, but I share a lot of the duties for our industrial robot line. So our Scaras, parallel robots, articulated robots with uh, Alex Bonaire. So in terms of automation robotics, I've been in the field for about 15 years, uh, and I've been doing it ever since uh, school. So obviously I was a first robotics kid, uh, went uh, to college, studied mechanical engineering, but I was all over competitive robotics uh, competitions, including the RoboBoat competition, which was focused on building autonomous mobile, uh, sorry, autonomous uh, uh, robot boats. Uh, and I've been all over automation. So I've been a field engineer, a project manager. I've been doing traditional uh, engineering within the field of automation. So everything from integration and project management, uh, but I've also been doing automation in the context of entertainment. Uh, so performer flying, uh, theatrical curtains. The last project I did in that space was the curtains for Raider Stadium in Vegas. Oh, cool. So. Uh, yeah, I've been all over the place. Nice. Sounds like a ton of uh, a, a very a very diverse background of automation, which is fantastic, and lots of robotics, which is which is why we had you here, right, Adrian? I think you know we've always we've started to see even more and more in the current work life uh, situation with production. You know, uh, skilled labor is getting much much harder to find, so it's where robots show their show their opportunity to get in that. And you know, as someone who spent a lot of time in the world of robotics in a bunch of different capacities, you know, what would you say is the most surprising development that you've seen in the last five years? Yeah, so it's hard to describe something that only happened the last five years or so because technology stands on the shoulder of giants, right? Everything came from something before it. So I would say accessibility in robotics for people is the most exciting thing I've seen in the last five years or so. But of course, the concept and technology behind it has been in the works for much longer than five years. We've seen an accelerated demand and implementation of accessibility 
And what I mean by accessibility in robotics is how approachable is it for people to get their hands on programming, integrating, and using these robots in solutions. Uh, so, you know, before in the days of Unimate, we had to, you know, use giant magnetic tape decks to program robots. You had to have sophisticated understandings of electrical and mechanical systems. Uh, and, you know, as time progressed, you had to have ladder logic understanding and understanding of uh, automation principles across the board. And now we have uh, products such as collaborative robots. So, of course, I'm going to be speaking about collaborative robots a lot throughout this entire conversation because that's my bias. But being able to program a cobot without having someone with a four-year college degree in computer science or automation hand them a cobot, have them be able to simply hand motion guide uh, most of the points they need to develop a robotic solution uh, and go from there. I mean, that's big, I mean, especially mm -hmm. when we're seeing uh, the difficulties with people trying to procure people in automation, manufacturing, engineering in general, uh, being able to make sure that anyone can walk up to a robot and safely program it is huge. And I think that's also opening the door to uh, people without technology backgrounds to finally take advantage of robotics. Yeah, I was going to, before you clarified it, I was going to ask you what you meant by accessibility. And I, I I would agree. It's, you know, just even thinking about our own cobot and how to program it, it's gotten to the point where it's, it's not, like you said, it's not a very, uh, it's an advanced programming ability, but it's not so advanced that it's, it's a huge undertaking to be able to do it. You know, it's gotten almost to the point where it's similar to programming a PLC, which which many people have have built experience on on that. One thing I would even so two things. One, totally agree, and I would almost say it's easier than a PLC. And as a former PLC product manager, that kind of hurts to say. But um, and don't I know Alex Bonaire is not listening, so we can give the robots a shout out there. Um, but I, I have a little anecdote when we were, uh, had the new Sakura trainees, they're just out of college, they're engineers, so they're technical enough. And, uh, they were all programming the cobot without, they figured it out on their own, moving it around and stuff. Um, the other thing I noticed that you said, Adrian was, um, safely programming, right? And I think that's a really key point. Um, and I realized I said Sakura, Sakura program, that is our, uh, college, uh, college grad development program. So new college grads joined the Sakura program. And that's who was able to quickly uh, move around and start playing with the cobot. So when you talk about accessibility, very obvious to me after seeing them work with that. So. Right. And I was hinting at this earlier, but outside of just being able to pull Joe Schmo off the street, hire him as a uh, automation engineer and have him work with cobots in a plant. It's also about just expanding outside of, let's say, uh, industries typically served by industrial automation. Mm -hmm. So uh, every day I see artists take advantage of robotics. So because robotics is such an accessible field, we're seeing, let's say, prop makers take advantage of giant robot arms to create these uh, fiberglass and foam props for movie sets or do interesting things. with. I saw a ballet performance that incorporated drones. Uh, and we're seeing this in other industries too. So for food service, 
we're seeing lots of uh, players enter the startup field trying to, you know, typically flip burgers with a cobot, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're seeing people now that this technology is more accessible, people are starting to say, hey, I don't have a background in robotics, but I know how to program this robot. And that enables me to tackle the problems I know in my industry that robots before weren't introduced in. So it's accessibility as a concept has really opened the door to all of these new possibilities with automation and robotics. That's awesome. It's so exciting. Um, and kind of on that line, um, we know that you know some of the industry benchmarks is robotics adoption is anticipated to quadruple by a tw- from 2020 to 2025, which a lot of the comments you just made about making it so easy and making it more accessible, um, that seems to make sense. But what do you see as like the biggest hurdle for our customers, you know, to start adopting this new technology? Where do you see the potential pitfalls? I'm going to cheat and give you two answers. So the (laughs) first answer is uh, people. Uh, The recurring joke I tell people is that robots are easy. People are difficult. (laughs) So we still can't produce enough engineers and technicians. uh, And this was the case even before the labor crisis, uh, before COVID. Uh, Just having enough people who have the critical, uh, you know, mechatronics understanding or uh, technician experience to be able to maintain robots. uh, That's still a big pain point for everyone globally. Uh, because even if it is easy to uh, program robots or integrate robots, you still need that staff that has that knowledge on how to maintain things or application-specific knowledge related to robots. And we just can't get enough people staffed anywhere across the board. Uh, so, I mean, even with all the leaps and bounds we've made in accessibility, you have to have people uh, install, program, and maintain them. Uh, the programming and installation part is easier, but uh, maintaining them and sometimes reconfiguring them is a big pain point. Uh, so just getting people familiar enough with this technology fast enough out in the world is the biggest uh, hurdle right now. And I would say the second issue is time. And once again, of course, we're all in this crunch with the supply chain, but even beforehand, uh, people wanted uh, robotics and automation in their facilities, but if they wanted something, even if they knew exactly what they had, if they had everything drafted up, uh, it takes time to install things. It takes time to program robots. And even with these accessibility issues, customers don't necessarily want to spend the time to program and develop their own solution. They want something turnkey. Mm -hmm. They want something similar to what consumers have at Best Buy. You plug it into the wall, you throw out the instruction manual, you press (laughs) a button, and your robot does palletizing or material handling, and that's that. So, I mean, accessibility improvements have definitely helped to reduce the time of integration and programming, but we're just never getting these systems to customers fast enough. That's really interesting. It's kind of interesting, too. Um, A lot of the concerns you have are just general concerns of technology adoption, right? or upgrading lines. We hear our customers talk all the time about, yeah, I know I could improve throughput if I did this, but I don't have anyone to do it or the downtime to get it. So it's an interesting continuum we see. Yeah, with robotics, uh, a common joke in the robotics field is 
you know, in Robotics 101, it usually starts out with a definition of robotics in those courses. But at the end of the day, a lot of people ask, well, what's the difference between automation and robotics? And the uh, blunt answer is typically, well, I'll, I know when I see it. Yeah. So, like, does it have arms <laughs> versus, like, being a conveyor line? Um, it's sometimes it's splitting hair in semantics, but mm -hmm. a lot of the things that apply to automation definitely apply to robotics. Absolutely. And so for, you know, for years, we've always heard the the fear of employees at our customers uh, that automation takes away jobs. And, you know, this has always been really a big case of misinformation, but it seems like with many other facets of technology, COVID and its effects have accelerated the adoption of robotics and automation. Uh, can you share some of your thoughts on, on what you're seeing in the industry in this realm? Are robots really taking away jobs or are they they kind of allowing people to be reallocated to, to more higher value activities. So are robots taking away jobs? And I'm going to give everyone's favorite answer. Yes. And no. Uh -huh. So we, we are seeing uh, robotics automation in uh, as a broader sense being sources of job creation. So we of course need engineers and technicians to develop and support automation technology. This doesn't come out of thin air. As the demand for automation increases, we need to hire people who develop PLCs and robots and HMIs. We need people to integrate that. We need people to maintain that. So uh, the automation industry needs to be supported. And with COVID and the boom to automation, uh, that's resulting in job creation there. I mean, even here at AMA, we just can't ever get enough people, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and additionally, uh, in terms of job creation... Uh, I mean, this is kind of job retention too. Companies are able to keep their doors open thanks to automation. I mean, COVID hit the economy hard. It still has uh, all of the you know rippling effects like the supply chain. Uh, companies have to find ways to reduce the cost of operation or even meet demand. So automation's helping people become more productive with their time. Uh, you know, uh, workforce productivity has gone up thanks to automation while reducing operation costs. You could, uh, we're seeing machine shops, for example, uh, do machine tending and CNCing overnight. So, you know, they still have their staff in 40 hours a week doing the more complex things like CAD work or finishing or what have you. Uh, but in terms of just loading blanks into a machine and taking out the finished parts, which is very low value at work that a human doesn't have to do, uh, you're producing more parts, you're having humans focus on the things that require human labor, uh, and you're increasing output. So if anything, automation has helped the U.S. Uh, specifically reshore mm -hmm. jobs here uh, or just keep jobs here in the country. Uh, because globally, it's always a race to the bottom in terms of manufacturing and operation costs. Uh, but if automation can help companies uh, be competitive globally, uh, they're able to uh, keep their doors open here or even expand their workforce because it takes people to run robots. Uh, we are seeing some examples of dark factories, but we're still pretty far away from that. Mm -hmm. uh, it is a win and not an if, but uh, for the near future, uh, we are seeing the positive effects on uh, automation in the job market. Uh, but I think we have to be very honest here. I mean, many customers adopt automation or expand automation because they're looking for profit motives and human labor is a big expense mm -hmm. uh, in terms of automations. And I think mm -hmm. we just need to be very uh, clear about that in this conversation. 
real quick, because um, my mom listens to the podcast and she's not familiar with some of the terms, what would you say, how would you describe a dark factory? Uh, so a dark factory is a concept where there are no humans involved. It's all robots. Uh, it's also been referred to lights off uh, manufacturing or operations. So essentially, uh, no humans go in to move anything, even material handling, moving parts from place to place. Every part of an operation is covered by robots. So for example, a truck would uh, back up into a dock, a robot would depalletize or offload items from a truck, another robot would move it onto a conveyor belt, uh, possibly a continuous operation on a conveyor belt, would have robots along the line that do uh, everything from unwrapping, inspection, assembly, what have you. And at the end of the conveyor line, there would be more robots that package whatever widget you're making, um, palletize them, and then another robot to uh, put those uh, pallets on a truck going out. Mm -hmm. And at no point, unless there's maintenance um, to be done by humans, there are no uh, humans involved in the process. So that's why it's called a dark factory, because you know the robots don't necessarily need lights. And there are some people that even consider this concept only fully complete if robots can also maintain themselves, mm, which yeah. uh, you have universities and labs all over the world working on that part, too. Now we're starting to get into, like, the world of WALL-E, exactly. right? Um, right. When do but I do I, feelings? <laughs> yeah. I do, uh, I do really like that point, and I think it's something that gets completely overlooked is that robots and automation – at times is actually enabling, enabling to keep jobs mm -hmm. that we have here. I think that is, that is a very key point of something that I don't think is, is brought up enough of what, what automation and robotics can do. hundred percent agree with you, Kenny. Adrian. Yeah. That you really gave some really good points. And I know me personally being in this industry so long, sometimes you, you kind of struggle to have a good answer for that. You know, Hey, our robots taking away jobs. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'd like to start bringing you along to cocktail parties and you can just answer for me. Um, <laughs> but I, I just want to point out, right, that um, it really reflects the, the quote from our founder, uh, Tariishi-san, where he says, to the machine goes the work of the machine and to the man the thrill of creation. I think what you really described is really summarized there as far as changing the way we do work and how we do work and what jobs there are. So very exciting and I think the best explanation I've heard of it. So thanks, Adrian. Of course. Absolutely. And you know, Adrian, I think you had talked about a lot of your background right earlier about STEM and everything like that. So with, with the growth of the STEM programs, you know, and part of your discussion, as well as your background with volunteering, you know, what do you see our industry doing to kind of pave the way for the, the next generation, the next round of robotics engineers? I would say the number one thing is just getting out there and do more volunteering. Uh, there's absolutely no shortage of amazing STEM programs in need of engineering mentors. And we're seeing both global organizations and uh, nonprofits uh, start robotics competitions and education programs, uh, remote, in-person, or what have you. And everywhere has uh, really great local STEM programs if you look hard enough. Even local libraries have 3D printers and robotics programs now. Um, so... Uh, but we still need people with industry experience or any sort of engineering experience helping to spearhead uh, these mm -hmm. because I've spoken to so many 
uh, school teachers and people at nonprofits where, you know, they see the demand for robotics education, robotics programs, but they just can't get enough engineers and roboticists involved. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I would say just go out, uh, find kids. And I know I'm talking a lot about robotics competitions, uh, but there's so much you can do just on a local grassroots level. Uh, So career day discussions, talk about automation robotics, uh, especially with engineering and technology. We all hear about these rock star app developers or, uh, you know, what's hot with kids nowadays is uh, video game programming, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't really hear about automation or manufacturing in the sphere of technology careers. And if you look at the numbers this industry runs, I mean, it's it's huge. Um, But we don't, we, we don't. I mean, it's hard to glam up PLC. Sorry, Carrie. Ouch. Relax. Uh, but <laughs> but even uh, in the context of robots, uh, I would even say that uh, a lot of the focus isn't on industrial automation. A lot of it's on uh, consumer robots mm-hmm. or uh, niche scenarios like uh, NASA and their robotics program. Uh, but... Uh, just getting kids uh, familiar with STEM, but also just the automation industry as a whole. Uh, and like I said, you don't need to be part of some global nonprofit volunteering organization. You can go to you know a local school uh, that your friends' kids or your uh, family's kids go to or your own kids go to and just do a career day session. Um, even a career uh, guidance, uh, anything like that. Um, especially after two years of remote learning for kids, which I can't imagine what kids have had to go through uh, doing that. So anything where you can bring the real world into the classroom, I think is going to be greatly appreciated. That's such a, such good ideas. Hey, do you have any, if someone's listening to this is, and I'm sure everyone who's listened has been inspired by you as Kenny and I, but uh, recommendations of ways to find organizations and we can put links to to them in the show notes as well? Any organizations? Yes. Resources? Of course. Uh, So the first one that comes to mind is, of course, FIRST Robotics. It is a (laughs) global uh, robotics competition uh, ranging from kindergarten all the way up through high school. Uh, So that involves either kids using the Lego platform robotics all the way to making their own 200-pound robots. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you always need mentors for that in terms of... uh, Uh, people who can build or just even like be an adult present while the kids are handling power tools. Right. Uh, so that's probably the most widespread option. Oh yeah. Uh, Vex robotics is another competition. Uh, that's pretty widespread. Uh, a lot of high schools and elementary schools have these. You'd be surprised. Um, some of the top players are out from some very quiet rural er uh, areas. Uh, so there's all of the competing schools are listed online and there's even guidelines on how to start some at your local schools. Um, li- public libraries, I will always be an advocate for public libraries. Uh, you uh, are seeing, like I said, a lot of libraries have access to uh, beginner level robots that you can program using easy programming languages like Scratch, or uh, they have uh, 3D printers mm-hmm. uh, available mm-hmm. for kids. And they're great, free, accessible. Accessible is my favorite word. ways <laughs> uh, for kids <laughs> to get this hands-on exposure. Uh, your local science centers usually always have some sort of uh, program for the summer or even just year-round. Uh, we are 
uh, seeing a lot of science centers trying to adopt robotics. But once again, they don't have any champions that are actually in the field that know how to bring robotics out of the factories and into a way uh, or into classrooms and museums. Uh, so even if you just go in there and consult with them, it's like, hey, here's what's cool with the robotics. Here are all these connections I can give you. Um, so there's, I'm sure, a million more off the top of my head I can't remember, but I'm going to have to make a note to share some uh, resources and links with uh, you, Carrie and Kenny, after this. That'd be awesome. And just one thing to point out for those of the listeners who are part of the Omron team, a great way to use the two paid time off days for uh, volunteering, right? So um, just a little reminder about that. Great point. No, fantastic resources, Adrian, and uh, we look forward to seeing some of those links. We'll share them out in the in the notes. All right, now let's be honest. What is the absolute coolest thing that you've seen a robot do? Okay, I can give you the obvious answers, right? Like I've attended live filmings of BattleBots. I've been out to France to see a three-story robot elephant. Whoa. But honestly, my... My true, true to heart, honest answer would be robotic surgery. So we are seeing uh, robotic surgical systems. Uh, I would say they've been around for a decade plus, yeah. but we're seeing more adoption of them. And definitely just the overall performance of these machines uh, floors me and the results they achieve are amazing. Um, so a lot of these robot uh, robotic surgical systems uh, do is that they specialize in minimally invasive surgical procedures. So in layman's terms, it means uh, it, they can enable surgeons to be extremely precise and reduce the size of incisions they have to make. And you can even do remote surgery. So hypothetically, a surgeon in one country can get on a control console wow. and perform surgery using one of these robots in another country. Uh, and I've seen demos of these systems do hyper delicate things like peeling the skin off of grapes or fold origami cranes way smaller than the size of a dime. Wow. The things that these uh, surgeons are enabled to do is fantastic. And if you think about the average age of experienced, knowledgeable surgeons, uh, I mean, they lose that sort of uh, hand-eye dexterity over time. But mm -hmm. these uh, surgical systems are able to filter out, let's say, hand tremors from deliberate movements mm. to make sure that these surgeries are safer. Uh, so this, in turn, decreases error and increases uh, recovery time because you're just reducing the amount of incisions you have to make during a process. Uh, and um, my mom uh, is actually a lung cancer survivor, but she had a whole note of her uh, lung removed uh, with one of these surgical robots. So it's not like... Uh, the Star Wars, you know, yeah, I saw a 30-foot-tall <laughs> robot crush a car, and it was <laughs> cool. But it's it, it's something that we don't associate with robots. I mean, there's – look at media, right? It's always robots blowing things up, mm -hmm. and even what we consider with manufacturing. But it's really heartening to see that, you know, this core technology behind robotics, robotics <laughs> is actually – you know, making the world a better place. Mm -hmm. No, that's crazy. That's crazy. The, the accuracy and the precision required to do those things, just mind blowing. So I'll just add to that. Um, my dad had uh, liver cancer and they were able, because they did robotic surgery on him and it actually, they were able to save more of his liver. So he didn't have to get a liver transplant. 
because if you had done traditional surgery, they would have taken a bigger chunk out and it would have been le- not enough of his liver left to function. So robotic surgery was a huge, huge uh, factor for him. I hadn't even thought of that when we talk about this. It's such a great way to tie robotics in general together, Adrian. Very cool. Right. And I think, uh, like I said, right at the beginning, um, all of technology stands on the shoulder of giants. So all of these leaps and bounds we make in technology can be applied horizontally and vertically and diagonally Mm -hmm. to other uh, processes. So, you know, a lot of things that we pioneer in manufacturing, we can apply anywhere. And, you know, just to get back to that theme of accessibility, you know, (laughs) maybe a doctor got their toes dipped in with robotics and like, hey, this is really cool for manufacturing, but what if we did this for surgery? Right. Very cool. I think we'll uh, I think we'll call you Mister Accessible Roboto. Does that uh, work now? <laughs> there we go. It. We got to figure out how do you say accessible in Japanese, right? Yeah, that I I don't know, but we can we can use the Google the Google after this. <laughs> <laughs> well, Adrian, we, uh, we this has been a fantastic conversation. For sure, we can't let you leave without a trivia question. And you know, Uh-oh. there's probably a bajillion. Uh, trivia questions for robotics but the one that i i kind of zeroed in on is adrian what country is the world's largest producer of industrial robots my gut tells me i knew this at one point and it doesn't make sense from the size of the country on paper, but I want to say it's still Japan, isn't it? Way! I was about to go domo. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> as your one, as your one clue. Um, but actually, in t- 2020, uh, Japan produced 174,000 robots, and Japan Japan manufactured robots actually make up 45 percent of the global robot supply. So. Very strong, stronghold on the uh, on the market share there for for Japan manufactured robots. Congratulations! Got Adrian. it right. One of the rare first try, no hint trivia successes. Way to go! Mm. I was about to give a hint, but man, he slammed the door. Boom! I like it. Great job. I had to talk myself down for the ledge before I gave that answer. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say this was a lot of fun, Adrian. I really appreciate your time. I- I felt your passion through the, through the throughout the episode and really excited uh, to see what comes next from uh, from Omron Robotics and all your awesome adventures within FIRST and other volunteering activities. Thanks a lot for your time, Adrian. This has been great. Thanks. Yeah, I had a blast. Thank you, everyone, for joining Kenny and me for the Operation Automation Podcast. If you have topics you would like to hear discussed on future episodes, please send them to our email address, omronnow at omron.com, with podcast idea in the subject line. All of the cool things you learn on this podcast can be found on automation.omron.com. Until next time, we put the fun in factory automation.